Ladies and gents, it's Wrestling Changed My Life. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's go. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100% how to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the, the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's it's five percent of the ingredient it pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort it humbled me taught me humility nothing can humble you more than wrestling i think it's the learning to adapt right you learn you learn how to adapt you learn how to solve problems you know if i look back my time i spent wrestling if it gave me one thing more than anything else it's mental toughness welcome back to Wrestling Change My Life podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, folks. We appreciate the hell out of it. My guest today is Mario Morgan, who was a Division II national champion, is now a wrestling coach at Marysville College. But before that, wrestled for the esteemed Harvey Twisters. And I'm going to go on record and say that the Harvey Twisters are the best wrestling club in the United States, that it's not a, an academy, right? This is literally a wrestling club on the south side of Chicago, that's produced the likes of Joe Williams, T.J. Williams, Tony Davis, Cassio Perot, B.J. Futrell, Mario Morgan. The list goes on and on. You cannot understand how good this club is in the state of Illinois. And what's cool about it is that they're kind of like a, uh, a closed-loop system, right? You don't know a lot about them unless you're on the inside, and Mario was. So he talks a lot about that today, and we hope you enjoy the podcast now, before we take you to the show, our fan of the week this week goes to my brother, Tanner Warner. No, it's cheesy to give it to a family member, but he literally listens to every episode and has some great feedback. So thank you for tuning in. Now, without further ado, let's take you to this episode with Mario Morgan. Peace. Welcome to the podcast, my friend. How are you? What's up? I'm doing good. Hanging in there. Good, man. Before we talk wrestling... I got to know, how did you pull off the role in Hardball, man? Because none of my friends believe me <laughs> that there was a wrestler in that movie growing up. And I love that movie. Uh, Hardball actually came about on kind of a weird story. Uh, I was growing up, I played baseball, football, wrestling. Actually, for a long time, I thought I'd play baseball in college. Um, but then they had a tryout in Chicago, and I ended up going, and they probably took 40 or so of the top baseball players in the Chicagoland area. I made the cut somehow. And, uh, yeah, the rest is kind of history. Spent probably my entire seventh grade, half of my seventh grade on a movie set, which is pretty wild to get paid to be sitting around on a movie set with Keanu Reeves and some other actors, which is, it was a great time. I met some of my best friends uh, on that movie set, so it's cool. So you say you go to a tryout and the rest is history, but... What actually happened? So you you they you make the cut and then they t- and at that point are you in the movie for sure or are they still whittling it down? Like what was the what took uh, six months? So they kind of they take forty and what we did is they take those forty baseball players and they played pretty much all the baseball players outside of the main cast team 
So those 40 players might have played on multiple teams. I ended up being lucky enough to be put on the, the Buwaz, which was the kind of the superstar team in the league in the movie. And uh, so I ended up somehow finding a pretty good role to being one of the outfielders on there, making some cool diving catches, being in the dugout, dancing. And, uh, yeah, it was kind of weird when you're there because they don't kind of uh, tell you what scene you're going to be in right away. You're kind of sitting and waiting, so it's a little anxious that way, especially when you're when you're young. Uh, and then they kind of piecing it together, and they got some plan in their head, and it, it came out good. Man, I, it it did because I it's a, such a great movie. Um, man, G Baby was I I love that character, man. <laughs> yeah, there's actually a funny story behind that character too. So actually, probably two years or so before they even I went to the tryout, there was another casting for a movie, and I read for the G Baby role, and actually was offered the role, but they didn't have a lead actor at that moment. So it's kind of oh. this weird turn of yeah. There's this weird turn of events. So when they came back two years later, I uh, I was too old for that role at that point then. But then it was just happened. Me and my dad was like, oh, let's go to this movie tryout again and see what happens. And yeah, it was still the same movie. Was found out a little bit later. That is such a such a small world, man. Wow, I had no idea. Yeah. And your dad was the the umpire in that in that game, right? Yeah. Yeah, so because you had to have a, how old I was, you had to have a parent on set with you every day. So my dad was there, and they didn't really have an umpire for the role. And my dad's a big-time umpire in Illinois. So he uh, and he had his stuff with them, and they were like, well, we might as well put someone that does this for real to make this look authentic. Um, and then he ended up getting a role in it as well, and a really big role, forcing the kid to take off his headphones, the speaking role, and all of that. So just kind of happened he was in the right place at the right time and we both ended up in the movie man you know mr twister threw in the empire gear just hoping to get a chance in there baby and he did man <laughs> yeah. i mean it really wasn't that he asked he was kind of just there and they had some like extra doing it that wasn't doing the right stuff and he just made a comment like hey you guys know i'm a college high school umpire i could do this for you and it worked out man what a cool story and I mean, six months on the set, that's pretty incredible. Did you get to chat with Keanu Reeves at all? Or did you ever interact with him? I did. Yeah. I mean, he, we would be outside playing catch, and you'd see him. He'd come say hi and hang out with all the kids. And then, see, he's a really nice guy, great guy. Um, so we'd play football in between sets, in between takes when he had downtime. But then you'd see him make a switch and go into his, like, actor role and get in the right mindset. And it was kind of impressive to see, even at that age, that someone could – make a switch and be full actor mode and then kind of decompress and hang out. So now when I see all the memes of Keanu Reeves, it makes sense to me why he's the way he is. (laughs) Man, that is such a cool story. And I got to tell you, every time as a kid, I'd pull up that movie. I'm like, man, I know this kid. I didn't know you, but I knew of (laughs) you from like the IKWF tournaments. They're like, you don't know him. I'm like, I swear to God. Um, But uh, yeah, I still to this day, I get people that's like, well, you really were in hardball? And I go, yeah. And I have, I actually now have to keep like a picture from the scene on my phone because people don't believe me. <laughs> or if someone tells someone, I'm like, yeah, I really was. Well, not only were you in it, man, you had that diving catch. You look up, smile at the camera, throw the ball back in. I remember it, man. It was, it was cool. It was badass at the yeah. time. Yeah. So, it absolutely was. 
So you grew up in Chicago, um, eventually were a national champion in college, but grew up in Chicago and were a part of the famed Harvey Twister program, which, man, for kids who are not from Illinois, the dominance of this wrestling club is really hard to describe. And this was way before they even had like these academies and clubs that they have yeah. now. You know, I mean, just a couple guys who wrestled for the Harvey Twisters, Joe Williams, TJ Williams. Mm-hmm. Tony Davis, Mario Morgan, uh, Isaiah White. So the program is unbelievable. So when was the first time you got involved at the Harvey Twisters? Oh, I had to be seven. Yeah, six or seven, roughly about that time. And actually, I got involved because I was playing football, and one of my football coaches also coached for the Harvey Twisters. And then I would talk to my dad, and I was watching WWE, and I was like, that's real wrestling. And my dad was like, no, that's not real wrestling, even though my dad never wrestled or anything like that. And then he took me to a wrestling practice uh, because I kept making fun of him, telling him that WWE was real wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, you can't hit someone with a chair and they not be hurt. So then I ended up getting the wrestling and kind of gravitated towards it over the years. And what, uh, like, what about the Harvey Twisters program? Because it's a closed door system, from what I know. Like, what's it Absolutely. like at, at a young age, and how are they so consistent? I mean, like, does it do they get more serious with the kids over time, or is it serious right when you get in there as a seven seven year old? And kind of take us in there a little bit. Um. Yeah, it is a closed door system, so I see what I can say. Uh, but no, really, it's it's, it's a family. And it, it's not just a family of, like, the team you're on. or It's a family from the very first Harvey Twister that ever put on a singlet to the kid that's putting on their first singlet today. And I think that's what separates it from a lot of other, even these academies, to where you might get a kid that comes in that's already polished and groomed and now they're wearing your singlet and representing your brand. Uh, but the Harvey Twister majority, probably over 90% are, are homegrown or as homegrown as they can be, which makes it this unique nucleus of like, we've built this all together and this is our ship and we're going to ride with it till we die. I mean, a lot of us have tattoos that say Twister for Life and T4L and, and it really is that brotherhood that we could not see each other for years and get back together and it's like we saw each other every day. Um, and I think when you have that type of commitment to each other, even in practice when times were tough, even when we were little kids, we knew we were all together in this. And you're right on in that. I would say almost 100% of the kids are homegrown through that system. I mean, no one really transfers clubs and the active no. circuits to go to the Twisters. I've never heard of it. And No, not really. I mean... We we typically don't even allow people to try to jump in and try to come in and, and wear that brand because I think even the one time when the IKWF and stuff was split and we came back together, I remember us having some t-shirts that says champions are made, not born. And I think that's something that we took as a philosophy is we're going to home make our champions. We're not going to just go and show up and just be good. Um, it's going to take some hard work. It's going to take you grinding it out with your teammates. And, um, and I think it, it makes a better environment, a better culture. 
you don't feel like your your teammates are going to jump and bail. I mean, you're all going to stick into it together. Man, that is it. And you hit, you're talking about a time that I remember very specifically. Um, I think you were one year older than me. And, and for the listeners, we're about to go deep in IKWF history here. So if you're not from <laughs> Illinois, tune on out, baby, because we're talking about the best kids program in the country here and the IKWF. So seventh grade, you're in eighth grade. IKWF mm-hmm. and IWF merge. And this is big news because at that time, the state of Illinois was split and the Twisters were with IWF. And really, mm-hmm. the ma- majority of the programs were IKWF, but you guys are one of the, the good ones coming in. And who was, like, when you were in eighth grade, who was on that Twisters roster? You had the, the Lloyd oh. brothers, but who was all there, man? I mean, that team was actually pretty unbelievable. When, you re- when we look back at it, we were actually talking, I was with some of my friends uh, a couple weeks ago. We did a camp together. And uh, that team, I mean, included myself, Cartese Lloyd. Cameron Lloyd, B.J. Futrell, Albert White, uh, Thomas Webster. I mean, long list of phenomenal athletes that were even Illinois high school state champs. Christian Brantley went to Northern Iowa. Um, who was the mean, one who went to school in Indiana? Um, he went to school... But he mainly wrestled in Illinois, but in high school he went to Indiana. I can't think uh, Not John Burns. Um, God, I'm, drawing, I'm drawing a blank. I picture in the face. Um, and Jerome Moore didn't go there, did he? He didn't. He actually kind of came and joined us a little bit at, when he, because he didn't start wrestling until high school. Um, but what? he went to high school without, yeah, he didn't start wrestling until high school. But he came and practiced with us because he went to high school with Albert White at St. Rita. The fact that he didn't start wrestling until high school disgusts me. All right, I'm going to tell you right now. <laughs> that is that is a troubling, yeah. troubling fact. That is insanity to me. Um, mm-hmm. It's driving me nuts. I can't think of the guy who transferred. Yeah, I know exactly, I know exactly who you're talking about. Uh, who the hell is it? Anyway, I'll think of it. It doesn't matter. Bottom line, the team was stacked, and... Yeah. It's not that it was a one-time occurrence, man. It happens all the time, and and one of the one of the guys who kind of carried the torch after you and I were through was Isaiah White, who's at uh, uh-huh. Nebraska right now. Were uh-huh. you? Do you know him at all? Are you close to him at all? Oh, I I know Isaiah really really well. Um, and the cool thing for that is like when I was coming through, Isaiah was still really little, so he was still kind of that young kid that was looking up at the guys that are wrestling and kind of growing and figuring out the sport and where they fit into the sport. Um, so then I got to go off to college and wrestle and kind of have that and got to, those guys got to watch from a distance. Um, and then I, every year we'd come back and see them in the summer and do camps. And like, I'd come back and wrestle around with them at our camp um, and got to watch them from a distance. And I actually got to coach against Isaiah, which is, was pretty cool multiple times um when especially when even when he was at uh Notre Dame College I coached against him there um I got to coach against him even once he went switched over to Nebraska at a couple of tournaments and it, it's cool to see him grow and we've had some great conversations about wrestling and and his path and where he's at and where he's going um so it's cool to see those guys grow up that you saw when they first started um and still be friends with them to this day and 
And I don't even say like guys like that, like look up to me as like a mentor or thing. Someone might say that, but I think it's still just family. It's like your little brother having some success. And, and that's what's the, the cool thing to watch with him. And even BJ Futrell, I was at his wedding and hung out with him and the wedding party and everything all dripping. He just retired from competing, trying to compete for Olympic and making world teams. And it's exciting for me to see him have some success too and, and do those things that he's done. And he's actually had to retire from looking my calendar in two weeks. So it's, it's not fun to have those things to come back together. And his wedding was really cool for all of us Harvey Twisters because we got people like in his wedding party is Albert White, it's TJ Williams. I mean, you got myself there. You got so many people there. And like our whole family got to go out to Philadelphia and watch him get married and, and have that, that bond. And we were all Cassio Perot. Oh, yeah. Went to uh, Illinois. So all of us got to come back together for something and just kind of hang out and be friends and tour around the city. And so it's kind of cool to have that experience. Man, how fun must that wedding have been, man? All those studs. Yeah, there? I mean, that's was, crazy. Yeah, it was, it was a great wedding. I and mean, he got all of his, uh, I mean, even all the world team members that were there and uh, Jordan Burroughs and all of them were all kind of there and supporting. It was kind of cool to see like someone that I've known since he started wrestling and it's been his goal to make an Olympic team and to see him get close and have a bunch of injuries stuff. But it's cool to see him continue on that path and the things that he's going to do in the future is unreal. Man, that kid is one of the, the greats to ever come out of Illinois. And yeah, I say that because as a kid, he was dominant, man. and. Yeah, I mean, he won five kids' state titles and high school state titles and went on to Illinois and had a, a great career there. Had a couple injuries that derailed him a little bit, but just a phenomenal career and even a phenomenal career after college. No doubt about it, man. And we've actually exchanged some, some Instagram messages about getting him on. And we're, I, had to, I had to cancel one, but we will get him on here. And, you know, what's crazy to me is that how good some of these kids were is – Mm-hmm. It's relative because when we were in that KWF circles, there were so many studs. Jimmy Kennedy, yeah. Futrell. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's just, it kind of numbs you to how good these guys are. But then when you look back, you know, I'm 30, you're probably it makes sense. 30. Yeah, 31. it's like, dude, you look back, you're like, holy shit, man. These, this was insanity, how, how tough this I mean, was. The funny thing is, like, I wrestled Jimmy Kennedy in my first IWF state finals. Wow. Me and Jimmy Kennedy wrestled in the state finals, my very first one. I ended up as a kid wrestling five kids' state finals, and he was in my, he beat me in my very first one. I mean, it's how did you crazy. win? I ended up winning three. I lost my first two, and then I won three after that. Gotcha. Okay, and okay, so that makes sense. Now, before we go on to the rest of your career, we got to spend some time on uh, Coach Q uh, or. Yeah, Coach Quint. Coach Quint. Um, what I mean, that guy, he's been at the helm of the Harvey Twisters for a long time. And very long time. This guy is like a sage, man, like a like a like an old legend almost. Like talk about this guy and like what what's his demeanor like in a practice? I mean, what's his demeanor like after a tough loss? Like what what's what is this guy like, man? Coach Quint. He's uh he's a living walking legend. And he would not tell you that he is. He'd tell you he's just a normal guy. And that's, that's the coolest thing about him. I mean, we were, we go to his house, he fish fries, he's sitting around, 
playing games with us and just being a, a normal guy. And that's like, he's like your dad of every kid that comes to that program. And he taught us so many things from just, not just about wrestling, but about, hey, when you walk into practice and you see some adults sitting there, you stop and say hi. Even if you're just walking by, you wave and say hi. You don't walk in with your head down and ignore adults. I mean, from little things like that or in the wintertime, you don't walk out of practice without a hat on your head. Um, I think I got so many more of those mentor um, parenting legends. And a lot of, to be honest, a lot of the kids that came to that program might not have had a father figure from single parent homes or the father said that was in and out of the house. And he became dad. Or even for people like myself that had a great family system, he became my second dad. I knew at any moment I could call him today and he'd drop anything to do something for me. Um, and when you have that type of support at the top, it's it's hard not to be successful. And he, he has a great wrestling knowledge and, and he knows he doesn't know everything, but he brings guys like myself back that gone farther than him or TJ Williams or Joe Williams or we call each other, Cassio Perot, Charles Lloyd. We call each other, come back, and we spread that knowledge. Um, I mean, we had a camp a couple weeks ago and I'm there showing stuff that I'm working with my college guys, which allows him and his coaching staff there to come back and pass that on. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what I think of when I think of somebody like that is the life lessons more so than, than the technique and oh, the X's yeah. and O's, you know, it's like... It's, it's way more life lessons, and that's even when we were kids. And that, now when I look back and I see the things that we do, we did as a kid, and then a lot of it was about building a culture before people knew about building a culture, and it was the life lessons about being an adult. And for the majority of the kids in the program, it was being a, a black kid in America. Uh, and I think we, we learned a lot about how to be a proper, um, respectful black kid in America at that time. And I think, I mean, that that's the whole point of it is that, I mean, of the club, 98% African-American, and it comes from yeah. a really, a lot of times, tough neighborhood. You and Fruit Trail, maybe oh, not, yeah. but a lot of them, a lot of the guys on that team did, if, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah. No, you, you're spot on. I mean, if you go to where we they practice at and where we practice at there now, the building hasn't changed. I mean, it's, it's in a very low income area i mean we get kids that have to go away to practice every day and i mean things weren't great for myself every time even throughout the years and Mm -hmm. someone from that program was always there to pick us up even for my family pick us up and bring us on and i think that's what what makes it special is you you can go there and it's a safe place after after school you get your homework done you can go to practice and when you go to practice you knew you're in a safe space and and coach quinn he not only ran the team but he ran he ran the park district that we practiced out of. So, I mean, there are kids that were coming in there to play basketball that had nothing to do with wrestling, but he's also teaching them life lessons. Like, hey, don't walk in here with your, your pants sagging below your butt. Don't come in here cussing. Um, so it was kind of a, the safe place for the community. And I think I've had some great friends. Even I look at Albert White. He grew up in that neighborhood. And people in that neighborhood that might have been either drug dealers or into some of the wrong stuff respected the people that were a part of that program because they knew they were trying to do something and get even get out of the neighborhood or just to better themselves. Or it was always that safe place that we knew that nothing was going to happen bad in that space. 
And that's so and important. It's because those, yeah, I mean, if you look, those people respected Quinn. I mean, they played basketball there too, and he ran that place the same way he would run his household. So it was, it was cool. So this was a guy who you would not mouth off to this guy. <laughs> this guy no, was a disciplinarian, no. man. I mean. Uh, yeah, and he's not the he's not the disciplinarian where you're like he's yelling at you or something. But he came through with a, a stern voice, and you're like, "Hey, I'm I'm not going to disappoint him." And it's because you knew he was giving everything he had. And most people don't realize he works a full time job at Ford every day, and comes there after working a full time job. Really, I didn't has, know that. And has a fa- yeah, it has a family and all those things. So when he has he has other responsibilities, and he's choosing to spend his free time with us. Uh, we can be respectful enough to be proper community members and citizens and adults around him as well. So how many days a week would you guys practice back in the, like, let's say you're in middle school and you're part of the Harvey Twisters. Are you guys going five days a week? Uh, the younger kids, when they're early on, they're probably three days a week. Uh, Monday was a Friday, but. Once they got older, and probably once I got to the the level I ended up getting to, we would end up being almost five days a week in wrestling season. And would you say it's kind of a slow progression? Okay, that makes sense. Now, would you say it's like, you know, yeah, there's there's the, there's the discipline and the structure, but I mean, every guy who comes through there, I mean, not every guy, but it seems like it is an elite wrestler. So, like. There must be some technique going on as well. So, like, how would they structure practice? Would it be a lot of live wrestling versus drilling, or like? Wh- oh, I can't give you all the secrets. Probably <laughs> uh, the one thing I can tell you is champions build champions. So, I mean, I think when when you got the culture and you got highly competitive individuals in a space, I think that allows to help build something really special. Um, so we had a lot of, a lot of kids that were really talented athletes. Um, and you put them around great coaches and great mentors and the sky's the limit. I mean, you get some really good athletes. I mean, I know some of those guys today, like Cartoon Floyd, mm-hmm. I could pull that guy, I could pull that kid off the street right now and enter him in a college tournament. I guarantee he'd be right in the thick of it. Untrained, any of that. If he got, if I get a month of him to get him in shape, he'd be, he'd be right in the thick of it. So you got some highly athletic kids with some great coaching and some guys with some phenomenal talent. Talent, sky's the limit. And then you got individuals that are competing with each other, and we probably felt like our practice room was harder than any tournament we were going to enter. No question. And the last thing I'll say about the mystique of the Harvey Twisters is that they wouldn't go to every tournament. They would go to like select mm-hmm. tournaments. Like they'd go to Tulsa in the in January, and you guys won Tulsa a number of times. Which again, the other teams you guys were competing against were what I would call like an academy, where they're drawing from all over the state. You guys are literally drawing from a neighborhood and winning Tulsa. But why do you think they didn't go to all the like an IK tournament every weekend and kind of chose their battle, so to speak? I mean, if you really think about it, it's probably what more kids are switching to now, we were just ahead of the curve. Like, there's no reason to wrestle 150 matches in the 6th and 7th grade. Like, that weren't going to make you better. Uh, it was kind of a little bit of preserving your body a little bit and being fresh and training up until something and then not just constantly training at that high level. So I think we figured out that at an early age. They're like, hey, we can train to Tulsa so we don't have to go to every tournament. We can be select and pick and choose where we're going to go. Um, 
we didn't have to see the same guys every weekend. That wasn't making us better. Mm-hmm. Um, I think making us better was training properly, ta- tailoring back our training and not being as uh, intense at certain times to allow us to stay injury-free. I mean, I can think of at that age, I mean, we didn't have really many big injuries. Um, and I think a little bit of not competing every day and not having a kid with 120 matches at that age either leads to burnout or that kid getting to college and really not liking it because they're just so tired of the sport. I think that's great advice, and I think something we're going to see more of now. Now, before I move on, because I do want to talk about Mount Carmel and your career at at uh, mm-hmm. at, uh, at UNO, I just want to say for the for the folks who still might not know who this club is, the Harvey Twisters at one point in time had two wrestlers wrestling in the Division One finals, and that's TJ Williams mm-hmm. versus Tony Davis from the same club, yep. people. All right, so sit back and just let that soak in a little bit, and do some googling on these guys. It's really a phenomenal club, and I was just really lucky to see uh to see it growing up so um it's cool to hear about some of these stories now yeah i mean it's, it's even impressive to know that those guys are still best friends they do camps together really i mean you you can get a tj williams uh tony davis camp if you need one uh, wow so they're still friends to this day even though they were scrapping oh, yeah. it out wow oh yeah i mean we were one family i mean we there's times where we had to compete against each other in high school and college but i mean at the end of the day, I think we all classify ourselves as Harvey Twisters first. Before even, I mean, I could ask Tony, da- Tony Davis and TJ, and they'd say they're Harvey Twisters first, even beyond the Northern Iowa and Iowa. Um, Twister for life, man. <laughs> Twister for life. <laughs> so you went to Mount Carmel, which is mm-hmm. another one of the most legendary wrestling programs in Illinois. Uh, at yeah. one point in the early '90s, it won like five or six state titles in a row. Um, how how long was Bill Wick there versus Ben Gerties when you were at Mount Carmel? So Bill Wick was there my freshman year. Um, so he was our head coach my freshman year, um, and then Gerties was helping assistant at that point. Um, and then a transition happened. Um, a lot of things happened, and Gerties ended up becoming the head coach after that. Got it. So Bill Weck was the uh, Olympic coach in 1972 for Dan Gable. You know, was that obviously mm-hmm. on his way out? He was a uh, he was an older man at that time, and um, you know, yeah. maybe not the highlight of your career, knowing that you never won a state title. But just talk to us a little mm-hmm. bit about like your junior and senior year. Like, what were some of your state tournament brackets like? Because it was nutty at that time. They weren't seeding the tournament. It was 24 kids, <laughs> and you couldn't wrestle back unless the guy made the semis. It was absolute lunacy what they were doing. It was, it, it was a madhouse. Madhouse. I mean, that time that time of Illinois wrestling, and a lot of people don't realize, was really the turn of like even the freestyle Greco scene yes. of Illinois wrestling, um, of, of dominance, as I say. They always were good. We had good athletes, but I think the culture of the Illinois wrestling switched around that time. But I mean, if you look at like the national ranking at that time, probably my junior and senior, my senior year bracket had probably four or five guys ranked in the top 15 in the country. Uh, so it was crazy. And we were all in the same bracket throughout our entire high school career. We all grew together from myself, Jimmy Kennedy, um, Nick Fanthorpe, who went to Iowa State, Ooh, uh, Dalton Buller, Dalton Buller, um, God. Kyle Hutter went to Old Dominion. Uh, of course, Jimmy Kennedy was there. I mean, 
just so many guys in that weight range, either one weight up or one weight down, that were just phenomenal athletes and phenomenal wrestlers that breeded a culture of like competitiveness. I mean, you had to get better because you never knew who you were going to face at that time at the state tournament. And I think it made it an extremely hard state tournament. No question. No question. And I some of those names you're rattling off, I kind of forgot about like Kyle Hutter, man, that guy was a a great wrestler for Providence. Um, Yeah. I mean, me and he'll probably wrestle the conference rivals. So we wrestled so much in high school. It was, it was crazy. And I was actually really glad to see he's landed well down helping out in old dominion and, and found good. And we actually, for the first time, probably two years ago or so, met at the NWCA conference and like got to sit down and talk and say hi and, and had a drink together. So it was, it was a cool experience that way. It's someone you kind of like competed against so much. Scrapped you know? against, man. Um, who yeah, did you, I mean, we had some battles. Who did you uh, lose to in state your senior year? I lost to, I got headlocked by Dalton Bowler. Oh, mm-hmm. man. Okay. Headlocked by Dalton Bowler. Yeah, I Okay. That was, that, was, that was tough. I ended up taking fifth. Uh, I got hit by him, and I think I lost to Cal Hutter. I think I don't remember. Dude, at that point, thought, it's thought, like thought, it's a I shit show. At that point, actually, to be honest, the crazy thing is I didn't place until my senior year. What? The, when the tournament was structured, yeah, I didn't place until my senior year of high school. Just wow. And when one year I got pinned by uh, priest, not um uh, Kennedy. He called me in like a cement mixer type. I don't remember what it was. Three quarter Nelson, and I mean it was just it was a grind. I Assembly Hall in Illinois was not my favorite place to wrestle, to be honest. Dude, it was a grind, and you know when I was in there, it was still two divisions, and it now yeah, it's like a same. yeah, it's like now it's like a three day tournament. Back then it was like a half day. Two it was days, like a day and a half, maybe a day and a half. Yeah, yeah. And two man. divisions, and, and to be honest, the Class A at that time, they had maybe two or three elite level guys, and the rest were kind of guys that were middle of the road. But the the big class was it was basically like one class, and it was a grind. And it was, Ugh. I mean, I thought I saw state champs return the next year and get new upset first round and not be able to wrestle back. Like it was. It was a wild time to be down there. Wild time, man. And so, Ev, after your senior year, did you ever question mm-hmm. if you still wanted to wrestle or not? I don't know if there was a question if I wanted to wrestle. I think probably leading into my junior year, I didn't know what sport I wanted to play. Um, I was fairly good at baseball. And I, was, and I was on a really good team. Like My high school team was just as good as my wrestling team. Of course, I played football and all those things at Mount Carmel. I mean, so I just didn't know. I didn't, like, I wasn't as focused on, like, exactly where I'm going to go with it. And then I kind of started to make some things of, like, what's going to, how can I use this sport or use athletics to help me get an education? And wrestling became the, the proper choice of that because I figured I can go to a really good school or and have them help pay for that and try to set myself up for the future. So around when I started to make those type of decisions, uh, wrestling became the, the sport of choice for me for college. So I don't think it ever became of like, I don't want to wrestle. I think it was choosing what path to go down. Gotcha. And then 
what schools were you considering your senior um, year and junior year? Yeah, around that time, I was I visited Nebraska Lincoln. Um, that was really cool, especially at the time Tony Davis was actually a volunteer coach there. So that was a strong interest for me. Um, I was strongly considering University of North Carolina at the time. Um, Buffalo. Um, and then Nebraska Omaha came in at the tail end. Like, I was actually really strongly considering going to University of North Carolina. Um, the Tar Heels, and then I was like, actually, I was considering North Carolina State because that's actually where Tony Davis ended up landing, and one of my best friends, Travis Hammonds, ended up going there. A whole another story there. That's the dude from Indiana. But, that's the guy I'm thinking n- of. Dude, n- right? No, you're thinking of a different. Travis Hammonds is uh, he was, went to Hubbard High School and then ended up going to one senior nationals and all this, and then ended up going to North Carolina State, and some things happened and came back home. But, okay. Was Coleman Scott at North uh, Carolina when you were looking at the school? No, it was before then. Before Coleman Scott, I had the previous coach before him. Gotcha. Um, but then ended up finding the right fit for me um, at Nebraska Omaha, which led to some phenomenal things there. But I think it was I took the mature decision in college to say, don't just go to a school just because of their XYZ name. It's this big D1 state school to go there. I, I made a decision, like, what's going to be the right culture? What's going to have the right team um, for you to be successful? But at the end of the day, after five years or so, that sport's going to end for you. So what's going to set you up for the future? What has the right academic programs? What has students, athletes graduating? Um, so I was mature enough to make that decision and I went and, and found a home at the top NCAA Division II program and I, it was a perfect fit for me and I think I was glad I did especially looking back seeing guys that might have went to a smaller D1 school just because they wanted to go D1 um, and that was my goal well actually the only Division II school I looked at was Nebraska Ma. Um but when I found out I was like they won three national championships in a row like what what's the difference? Yeah. Would I want to go there and win some NCAA national championships and have a great time and have a great experience or maybe go to some mid-level D1 school and hope to make it like and not have a team that's competing for a national championship um, and have other individuals competing for that same goal or like, oh, there's a handful of us that might be All-Americans in D1 or maybe compete for a national championship. if they're lucky. And I think that helped propel my wrestling to be even better than I I probably would have been in maybe at another place because I had like-minded individuals training to be the best in their weight class and our team to be the best. I think that helped drove my career. Man, you said it in that the atmosphere and kind of the competitiveness of a team is everything, man, because we've all seen a lot of great Illinois guys go to maybe a Mm mid-major. And just because the enthusiasm's low at the program or whatever it is, it just kind of doesn't work. And I don't understand it, honestly. There should be way more Illinois Division I All-Americans. But but to your point, though, you got to UNO, and everyone there is going for a championship. And and coming from a guy who you'd only been on good teams, and dude, let me tell you, it's a lonely spot being on a, a miserable team, man. And 
I, I and and I knew I knew that wasn't the right culture for me to be successful. I knew I couldn't go and be the only guy. I knew in that atmosphere I would end up getting lazy or not being motivated. Um, I'm a team guy. I, I want my team to do well. I want everyone around me to get better. I'm going to try to boost the morale when things going down. So I knew I had to be around a team and a culture that was going to, one, allow me to be better and compete with me, but then also me be able to push them too. Absolutely. Now, did you know, did they bring back wrestling or is it still dropped? No, it's still dropped. Yeah, so... That's no a travesty. Absolute uh-huh. travesty. I mean, because that was a program mm-hmm. where they were sponsored by Adidas. Like It was a, cl- a team where you could go and get like legitimate kind of that big school feel. But, man, I cannot oh, believe I mean, that. There, there's multiple Division One teams that would not come down and compete, us, compete against us. I mean, we, we were lucky enough that Northern Iowa to come down and for one year, and then they chose not to come back after that. I mean, even Nebraska-Lincoln at that time – really didn't want to duel us. Um, wow. Because there's the, a fear of losing there. I mean, there's a, a legit fear of losing at the level of team we had. I mean, we had multiple guys that could have been NCAA Division One All-Americans. Um, and, I mean, myself have wrestled multiple times D1 All-Americans and won those matches. So it's 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 scary for them. Yeah. When when you have a, a lower level and they have no benefit. It's not a win win for it's them. It's a lose lose like, for them. Yeah. And it's a lose lose. Even if even if it's close, they look bad. And if they lose, they look really bad. And even for that, the the difference would be at that time, their athletes didn't get penalized by losing to a division two opponent. So now the way their ranking system goes they look bad if they lose to a division two opponent. So when we had our tournament there, we would get all the D one teams, probably the toughest tournament, our coffee and brand there in the country in college wrestling at the time. Um, Cause we had the national champs from every division from junior college to D one, bringing their varsity lineups to this, to our tournament. So Kaufman brand, the Kaufman brand. So, I mean, you got big time matches early in the year at that tournament. Like, if slow wrestling was around, they would have been all over this thing. No doubt, but, man. But the thing was, you got to come there and face good people. And, like, we have multiple guys from our program that was winning this thing with the Oklahomas, the Iowa States, the Iowa bringing their top-tier starters there. Um, and just being in contention with those guys really let us know that we can compete at any level. And let I me mean, let's not sell it short. You were twenty and five against Division One guys in college, and there's no doubt that you guys would have held your own, probably against even top fifteen teams. Who knows? I mean, maybe even. No, I mean, someone else today. I said I would, without a doubt, put some of my teams. Actually, probably all my teams in the top twenty in Division One, but from top ten to top fifteen on certain years, I would say my sophomore year team where we set the point record in the NCAA. For Division Two, that probably would never get broken. Um, was easily a top ten D one team. I mean, just the athletes that were on there and the level they were, and the guys they even beat that school year is second to none. Well, and let's not let's not forget, like at that time, the Division Three power Warburg. I know they would have been up there too. They were legitimate too. They had some really mm-hmm. good guys. They had some guys from. 
Georgia, who used to be Twisters, right? Carrington Banks? Uh, uh hmm So, I mean, yeah. those guys were good, too, man. So let's not forget about the D2 and D3 programs. No, I mean, we're, I mean we, would, we would wrestle. We'd go up and wrestle Augsburg in Minnesota. And they, they beat us my junior year. Dang. I mean, and they're getting guys that are falling out of Minnesota and all those things into there. And so there's some great wrestling. And that's, I'm a big preacher of telling guys when I talk to them, it's like, don't get settled on the D1 like dream of saying, I have to go D1. You can go somewhere else and have a phenomenal experience, if not better, uh, culture and environment and still be an NCAA national champ. Uh, you know, I'll still be able to walk around and you walk in my office, there's, I'm looking at it right now, three NCAA All-American plaques. Um, Let's go. I mean, so when, <laughs> when, when, you, when you can see those things and you have those stamps, uh, it, it means something. Um, no one's ever going to come back and be like, you weren't that. So I think you can definitely find some of those other tiers and some guys that can find some success and still have success after. I mean, if you look at the world team over the last few years, there's been a Division II guy on the U.S. world team. You look yep. at Travell Delagna from Nebraska County. You look at Les Sigmund, who went to UNO. Some of those heavyweights has been through there. Kamar Usman. Don't forget about him. Oh, Kam- Kamar Usman in the UFC. Um, you get some great guys. I mean, you look at John Jones. Went to junior college in Northern uh, Iowa Central. Central. I mean, you get some guys that can be great athletes at some of these non-D1 powerhouse schools or even mid-major D1 schools that are doing some phenomenal things, and it's it's yeah. really impressive to see. And they're bringing a lot of programs back, it seems like, mm-hmm. as well. Um, I wouldn't be doing us justice if we didn't get into your competitive career a little bit. So you, uh, at the Division two level, national champ your senior year, runner-up your sophomore mm-hmm. year, third year, uh, excuse me, Second your junior year, third yeah. your sophomore year. Now, talk to us about like your mindset going into going into competition. So, for example, your senior year, there's a great video online. It's you versus the number two guy. Quarterfinals your senior mm-hmm. year, last chance. Like, what are you what are you thinking in the tunnel? Fifteen minutes before the match, are you thinking back to your time as a twister? Are you trying to stay calm? Like, what was your mindset and self talk like fifteen minutes before a match? The funny thing is I ended up, we, we talked about it in our program, is having a ritual. Uh, so we would, and it, having a ritual, but also be flexible with your ritual. So I would warm up with the same partner. Cody Garcia was a multiple-time national champ, now the head coach at Baker College, another great NAIA program. Um, was my teammate, he was a weight below me for a lot of my career, and he didn't coach after, so, but we would warm up together every time. Uh, we'd wrestle around. I'd get a good sweat, and sometimes I'd be like, if I got my butt kicked by him in warm up, I'm going to be feeling good today because I got that breast out. Uh, so I'd go through kind of some of that. Um, and then for me, it was kind of put some headphones on and not think about wrestling, uh, and not think about it and put too much stress or worry into it, and then kind of show up in the moment. But then it was two matches before me. I'm going to take off my sweatpants, I'm going to be in my shorts, and kind of that which was always going through that. So nothing felt out of the ordinary. Um, 
But then my coaching staff, we they really focus on what does each individual guy need. So some guys, you might come up and they need a slap in the face before they walk out on the mat. For me, it was like, hey, I need you to come up and joke around with me. We might laugh and talk and make some jokes. And then right before I go out, it was like, hey, you're the baddest man alive. And kind of some of those self-talks and and going through that, and I think through the years, I figured out that that I still had to have that confident swagger, that confident, that cockiness a little bit um, for me to perform my best. But I also still had to be focused and and ready to go. So it was more about kind of taking your mind off of it as opposed to really yeah. drilling into. No, I I was one. To be honest, I wasn't one that liked to watch or know about what my opponent was going to do. Um, I think it, I performed better when it was like, hey, I need to focus on setups. I need to really make sure my hand fighting is good or make sure my right leg shot defense is good today. And if I'm doing, if I'm doing my things, I'm dictating the match. Um, so when I can put that guy on his heels and on defense, I'm, I'm in a good place. Um, if I'm worried about this guy shooting a high crotch on me, I'm defensive and not attacking and not scoring points. Um, the more points I can score, the better chance I got at winning. Um, so a lot of times it'd be like, hey, I need to score twice in the first period. I need two takedowns and um, in the first period. And if I get those things, I'm wrestling with a lead. And I always thought if I had a lead at the start, there's not many guys in the country that can come back and beat me. But if I let this match go 0-0 into the third period and it's 20 seconds left, they could potentially get a takedown on me. So if I'm wrestling my matches and performing at my best and taking care of the things I can take care of, controlling what I can control, I'm, I'm going to be in good shape. I'm going to win those matches 90% of the time. So those were some of your kind of markers where you knew you had to be at. Now, I know we have about 10 minutes left. I want to hit two last questions. The first is, now that you're a coach, like, mm-hmm. what, are, what are some things looking back on when you were in high school and college that you wish you would have known now that you have some perspective from the sport? being a little bit removed as a competitor? Um, I think some of the stuff I learned in college. Uh, one, growing up in Illinois, everyone knows the state of Illinois can rest on their feet. That's one of the things that they do really well and why they're really good at Sal and Greco is we can t- feel like we can take just about anyone down. I think even that's the Harvey Twister philosophy. Learning how to wrestle on the mat, that made a, a huge jump in my college career. Once I figured out how to get off the bottom, and then how to turn someone on top. Uh, so I think definitely high school kids, being able to wrestle in every position makes you very dangerous and not just be one one focused. Um, but then also the mental aspect of the sport. You might not be the best guy in the, technique-wise or in the best shape, but uh, if you knew, if you go in with a philosophy or you're, you're wrestling your style, and you're dictating matches, and you're in the right mental headspace, you're hard to be beat. I mean... So it's a self-belief kind of thing. Yeah, self-belief. But it could be even things outside of wrestling. I I knew there was times where, like, if I came home, and, like, after practice, and my room was junky, like, my bed wasn't made, and my homework wasn't done, I was up thinking about those things instead of just relaxing and getting away from the sport in college. Um, so realizing that, hey, I have to take care of the schoolwork. I have to take care of like my living arrangements and making sure I'm at a good place around good people um, for me to perform my best, even in wrestling. Because all wrestling's a sport where you take that with you even after practice because you're dieting, you're eating, 
Um, all those things continue even after you leave practice, unlike other sports like maybe basketball or something. Wrestling, you live that lifestyle 24 hours in a day. So you got to take care of those little things to make sure you're not stressing and worried. Because if you're stressing and worried, that's going to carry over into you stressing and worried right before you walk out on the mat. Yeah, and it, man, well said. Um, now, the last question always is, like, if you had to look back on, on the sport, um, and I want to throw a little bit of twist in this. So, like, how did wrestling change your life? But also, like, talk about the role your your dad and your parents played in your life. Because, mm-hmm. man, you're Mr. Twister, legendary guy on the message boards, on the social networks. I love that guy. And even as an announcer and a referee in Illinois. So, maybe just kind of weave in both. Like, what's the impact wrestling's had in your life? And then, uh, same with your dad. Like, how, how has he influenced your life? Yeah, I mean, I... I'd be lying if I didn't say wrestling didn't change my life. Wrestling has put me where I am now in a career where I, I work at Maryville University, not just as a coach, but I actually work out of our president's office here doing communications. And it's kind of surreal to say that wrestling got me here, but it absolutely did. Um, I finished my college career. Maryville University brought a wrestling team down. I started working in video editing and all those things here. But wrestling brought me here. If I did have wrestling, I would have never been in those positions to now have a a phenomenal career and a family and a daughter that's that's phenomenal, but wrestling provided all those things and definitely say using the sport, don't let it use you. Um, even as a coach, you can't use that. It has to be a give and take. Um, so I want I want to make sure I use the sport to get the most out of it. And it's gotten me an undergrad degree, uh, a master's degree from here at Maryville without the student loans that most individuals would have to have to get those things, especially from coming from someone with not the highest socioeconomic status, um, to use this sport for those things more than pays off the amount of trips my parents took on with me to Tulsa and all those things. Um, the APUS say the same, makes it worthwhile. But um, my parents played a huge role in it too. I mean, they, sacrifice. They probably took out loans without even telling me to give me the certain tournament and driving across the country and so them to do those things for kids and, and me now being a parent of a five year old is I can see why they did it and I can see the benefit of it or sending me to public to private school, which is thirty minutes from my house where I could have went to the school there. Them making those sacrifices at times to drive me all over and I was blessed to have some parents that were able to do that. But you don't have to have two parents in that. I know individuals that don't have that same nuclear system that I did, but they have the same drive to get to those levels. Um, And that drive can take you a long places, a lot of places. I mean, there's a phenomenal story of an NFL athlete right now that played basketball in college, and then tried out for a JUCO football team, got, didn't get any college scholarships, and then just walked up to the Cleveland Browns, and he got to play in the NFL game because he had the drive and the determination to be successful. So that drive and determination can be amazing when you don't give up and don't quit. Uh, one of the things my parents always said, hey, if you start a season or if you start something, you finish it. No matter if you hate it in a moment, in the middle of it, you're always going to finish. And that was something I still care with me. If I'm going to start something, I'm going to finish it. And at the end, if I realize that, hey, it's not what I want to do, completely okay. But if I start it, I'm going to finish it until the end. 
That's it, man. I think wrestling instills that in, and certainly your parents had a lot to do with it as well, man. And I could talk a lot about how, like, you look back at uh, my mom, single mother, no idea how she drove me to those tournaments and practices, man, but she just did and got it done, and uh, we're all grateful for it, man. And, and I'm I'm uh, kind of bummed out. I got to cut this short, man. I got to jump here, but, man, a real pleasure <laughs> to have you on. You know, hopefully we can get some of the twisters on you. Like, man, I even... Even Coach Quint to get on here, man. Let's hear from that guy. So, <laughs> it'd be a, it, it's been a lot of fun, man. I greatly appreciate you taking some time for us today, my friend. Oh, no problem. Thanks for thanks for inviting me on. And it's great to, to wrestling and, and have some people that are champions of the sport out there that's really, really branching out and doing some amazing things. So I appreciate you as well. That's the end of this episode, but definitely not the end of the show. For more episodes, please go to wrestlingchangemylife.org. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Give us a star rating. Show the love, baby. Show the love. Thank you so much. We'll see you again soon. Peace.